0: Hello, and welcome to Smart Supply Chain, a podcast produced by ALOM featuring industry experts offering insight and clarity on a variety of supply chain topics. I'm your host, Jennifer Duell. As an environmentally and socially conscious global supply chain services provider, ALOM offers Six Sigma quality technology leadership, flexibility, and true customer focus. ALOM delivers its clients products flawlessly, enriching the end user experience and upholding their brand reputations. The guest expert for this episode of Smart Supply Chain is Christopher Young, Vice President of Operations for ALOM. We're going to be talking about the evolving ROI of robotics and supply chain. Thanks for being here on Smart Supply Chain today, Chris.
1: Thank you for having me, Jennifer.
0: So you have an extensive background in supply chain, of course, but I am curious about your experience with automation and robotics. And I know that you have worked for a couple of companies that made significant investments in robotics. You want to tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I, I did almost 10 years with Chevron in automation and especially PLC automation. And what a lot of people don't realize or understand is that refineries are very much dangerous places and engineering teams within refineries really try to Come up with solutions and automation solutions, whether it be robotics or through other kinds of automation to not have an interface with the material or the product. And that was my first real introduction into PLCs and automation and the robotics field. And then after that, I worked for this little company called Amazon, and I helped launch their first robotics building using some of the Kiva technology. And that was my first play into heavy robotics and automation within a logistics space. And now we bring us to today where at ALOM, we look to really bring those automation solutions really to the forefront, especially when it means higher quality, better yield, and better customer experience.
0: For our audience's sake, what does PLC stand for? What is that?
1: So it's a process logic controller. So it's pretty much just a computer that runs logic for a specific process with Not to get too far into the nerd world, but you remember the, you know, being younger and having the right lines of code where it was just line one, line 10, line 20. And at the end of the line or end of it, you would hit run and it would make a smiley face or something like that. It's really this controller is just built in, make simple decisions
0: let's talk a little bit about the evolution of robotics in supply chain. How do you think it's evolved? What has been the trajectory of use and adoption?
1: It's been amazing. I mean, over... I would say through the last three, four years, and then COVID severely, I'd say sped up the process of robotics within supply chain, whether it be automation and conveyance, whether it be full robotic arms to where it's picking something, to where it's a full robotic system, to where it's putting items into a box and packaging it up and shipping it out, but it's really accelerated. I would say at the beginning days, it was tens of millions of dollars to get into the space, and your return on investment never made any sense. But now with so many companies in that space, it's really drive the prices down competitively and made it so that smaller companies and medium-sized companies, not just the Amazons of the world, could have some kind of automation or robotics within their supply chain.
0: When you think about using robotics within specific industries, manufacturing was the first big industry to embrace robotics. Is that right? And then I know that the healthcare industry a lot of that is using robotics as well. When you're thinking about the lessons learned in those industries did they apply to the supply chain?
1: Yeah and I would say the I'd say the evolution really births from the automotive industry to where you can think in your mind of all the pictures of the assembly line, within any major automobile manufacturer to where the robotic arm is welding or spot welding just a certain spot. And, you know, that really is where it all spun out of. But now we think of that robot, instead of doing a spot weld, let's say it's picking up a package and it's placing that package on a line or in a specific area or that robotic arm is then putting that package onto a pallet. And the evolution from there, that part of it where they've taken the robotic arm and added pneumatics, you know, air operation controls to where, you know, the robotic arm isn't picking up the item, but it's actually has suction cups you can think of to where it's using pneumatic air and sucking the item to the cup and then picking it up and placing it on a pallet. And the sensors on the end of the robotic arm are in real time using either LIDAR or some kind of innovation to where it knows exactly where it placed the item on the pallet and can continue to build a perfect pallet. And that's a high-risk job for an associate. That associate is having to bend down, stand up, bend down, stand up to where it's a high probability of a workplace injury. And now you have a robotic arm that can perform the same task without injury.
0: When you think about robotics moving from the automotive industry and kind of filtering into many other industries. Do you feel that it was a natural move for it to go into supply chain? And do you think supply chain was a fairly early adopter of robotics? Or do you think it was a long time coming?
1: For me, I think it was a long time coming. We work within smaller margins. We're not manufacturing the product. We're storing the product for someone and we're shipping it to the end user for that manufacturer. And A lot of it is tactile in what we do, but it's also low margins. And those low margins really prevented us to get into the space, I would say, sooner or until the price of robotics really came down. Um, But you think of how much just general walking or movement someone has to do within a warehouse. Think of a warehouse that's a million square feet. Now, imagine you've got someone on a forklift driving around from one side to the other to find the pallet that they need and bring it to a dock. But imagine now you can have a robot go out and retrieve that pallet and bring that pallet back. Now that associate isn't doing all, taking all of that time to go get the pallet and bring it back. So now our associates working more efficiently and they're working safer.
0: You know, you said something earlier and I wanted to make sure that our audience knows what you're talking about when you say LIDAR. Can you tell us what that is?
1: So think of radar, right? You can think of a bat where it sends out a signal and whatever it bounces off, it comes back and it'll receive it and transmit it and have an understanding. LIDAR is just using light as the same principle. So think of shadows. If I shine a flashlight on something, the light that is bounced off the object and comes back to me will give me a general idea of the shape and configuration of the box or the location or where I'm at spatially.
0: One of the things that I think about a lot in supply chain that, you know, you came from Amazon and Amazon has several warehouses that are a million square feet plus. And you've just mentioned this example of robotics being especially appropriate in very large operations environments. Do you think that robotics also can be very precise and be used in much smaller environments as well? Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. And I would say a good example of that is putting a shipping label onto a box. It's very simplistic automation and very light robotics where it's just applying a label or an application. That's really some entry-level ideas to where now I'm applying a label with a press and it's going through some conveyance and some just general automation to where now I'm taking a repetitive movement that an associate does and I'm having a machine now do that. And those kind of application processes have been very expensive in the past, the millions of dollars of ranges but now they've come down and you have a lot of companies that are are coming up with innovative ways to bring these things to market in the hundreds of thousands of dollars range and that's really allowing a lot of smaller players within the 3PL space to enter into the automation space
0: let's talk about the cost of robotics whenever you have the first adopters or it's new to market it is going to be very expensive, right? Because there hasn't been that volume or the scale built up to make the cost basis affordable for the masses, if you will. So do you feel that the cost of robotics in the supply chain, do you feel that it was really high for a long time and then had this really precipitous drop? Or do you feel that it was A fairly moderate drop, and now it's to a point where people can invest and make it work from a return on investment.
1: Yeah, and I say it was moderately dropping from the late 2010s. So, probably 2015 to 2018, it was moderately dropping as more and more companies were bringing their products to market. But I think COVID. And the strain within the supply chain really accelerated a lot of these companies to bring products to market and bring them at affordable price. And the pressure within the supply chain and there being a shortage of warehouse workers really changed the dynamic of what cost effective was. If you can't find warehouse associates, then you have to come up with innovative solutions to be able to fill out your warehouse. So if I need 100 people, but I only can hire 80 because that's all that's available now, really, the economics of the project change. And we saw that through COVID. And it wasn't how much you paid. You just couldn't get people. So. That changed the economics and allowed a lot of companies to get into doors and get installed within logistics companies. And all of that data fed back to automation specialists and robotic specialists, and it gave them a whole bunch of data and information that really sped up the time to market and gave them the data which they wouldn't have had right? Because a typical company would be very slow to spend and very slow to integrate this stuff into their supply chain. But because of COVID, they didn't have a choice. And now if you use company X and they're within your logistics company, company X gets all the data from it working, it not working, the number of failures, the number of preventative maintenance, From those failures, they have failure analysis. And that failure analysis is gold to an engineer because now in a real-world environment, I know where either my automation failed or where my robotic failed. And I can use that for the next generation to make it bigger, faster, more reliable, and all of that stuff then makes it cheaper. And you have this precipitous downward spiral of the price and it gets it to where even an entry-level company can have some play within automation or robotics
0: you actually beat me to the punch in answering one of my questions that was floating around in my head which was that i was wondering what caused the prices of robotics to decrease so much over that period and you just answered it by saying that the more people who use it the more that the robotics manufacturers the creators of the robotics can fine-tune their products and their process
1: yeah and there's for every successful launch you have probably nine failures of the same attempts. Even while I was at Amazon, it was the same thing. Multiple failures within the robotic space before the final iteration that actually works comes to fruition. And COVID rushed that. It put pressure on engineering teams to come up with ideas, to bring the ideas to market, and then get them installed. And when they got installed, Was a user or an operator, if it failed, then the engineering team would come out, they would evaluate, they would do their failure analysis, they would figure out what failed, why it failed, what they were going to fix on it, how they were going to change the design, the things that you don't get when you're working on a benchtop space or within a CAD program. When it's just conceptual, if you think of just a robotic arm, it seems very simple to have it pick something up. You're figuring that the strength that it needs to pick something up is X, Y, and Z. But then when it does, it crushes the box. Okay. It needs to be softer touch. Okay. When it then grabs the box, because it's such a soft touch to not crush, the box drops. So that design doesn't... And
0: the direction to the robotics is have it uh, be a little more gentle, but still use strength.
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) And that, you know, and get into this where... A gripping device doesn't work, you know what I mean? And this is where some of the newest machines, they have suction cups at the end of the robotic fingers because grabbing them, the machine is too strong. It'll crush the box, but it can't create enough strength like your fingers because you have a certain friction on your skin that causes it not to slip off when you're holding something straight up and down. And they can only theorize what that would be on a piece of cardboard and they found that design just doesn't work so a lot of the new machines they use think of it as a big suction cup where it uses air and it sucks up the box and it holds it using air the air sucking is holding the box in place which then doesn't crush the box and it places it that away but that's not the original design the first design that i ever saw looked like a human hand with essentially rubber on the fingertips where it was trying to tactilely grab the box.
0: And fingertips are especially amazing when you think about it that way.
1: Exactly. The human body is, it's not possible to recreate. You know what I mean? What we have is very special and can't be recreated. And with a lot of the robotics, it has to be learned. It has to come up with another way.
0: Are most people open-minded about robotics, or do you think that that's too much of a generalization to ask that question because there's a continuum of how people feel about robotics? Some people are really comfortable and really like it and feel that it's a future, and then there's a big portion of people who are completely against it, and then you have a lot of people, you know, in the continuum in between.
1: Yeah, I would say that's changed. I think I, I think chat GPT has helped us along where everyone's focusing on AI versus robotics stealing jobs and taking everything away. But now I think they're solely focused on chat GPT. But I think that's changed. And I think as a lot of robotics and automation has Come out. There hasn't been a loss of jobs, and it really hasn't displaced the associate. And I think that was the big fear in the early 2010s through 2013: is robots are going to take all of our jobs at some point in time. And maybe if you combined robotics with AI, you could slowly get there. The human brain can't be replaced. The amount of code that we have in our head would fill the entire world. There's just so much data and information that our brain processes that it can't ever do it. I'd say where robotics has come in real handy is there's a lot of repetitive jobs within our workplace that cause a lot of workplace injuries. And robotics are made for that. They've got joints that can easily be replaced or repaired. Their knees don't hurt when they go up and down 800 times in a day. And when they do wear out, robotics can be changed where a human body can't. And I think people over time have seen that. And someone needs to repair the robot, someone needs to maintain the robot, someone needs to make sure that the robot is working. The superficial jobs around robotics is just as important and they're higher paying when they're still entry-level jobs. And I think society has seen that and that we're not getting that pushback that we originally saw within robotics.
0: We'll hear more from Chris in part two of this discussion coming up next time on Smart Supply Chain. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Supply Chain. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information or to contact ALOM, go to alom.com. That's A-L-O-M dot com.